0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen to the second floor podcast. My name is Kenny Buller and I am your co-host. On today's episode we bring to you not one but two physiotherapists who absolutely love what they do and are huge advocates for health and wellness when it comes to both general population clientele as well as athletes. And why I'm so excited to bring them both on today is because not only from the perspective of Raj Dillon being, uh, you know, a friend of mine, a brother of mine, a mentor as well. um, He brings a wide array of knowledge from uh, the space of physiotherapy. He's the founder of Pivotal Physio here in Edmonton, Alberta. As well, he brings on a fellow colleague of his and someone who uh, also is extremely passionate in physio. And her name is Caitlin Phillips. All the way from the east coast. So we welcome Caitlin all the way from the greater Toronto area. Both Raj and myself and Caitlin connected in this episode in a way where we got to talk about the importance around the consultation of meeting with a client and I got to pick their brain a little bit on what are the most important questions that you absolutely need to ask when you're starting uh, your journey and helping out your client. Uh, We also, for everybody out there, not only fitness professionals, We also got to go deep into uh, the six-phase warm-up from Dr. John Rusin himself in the pain-free performance specialist certification that I've recently completed, but also just from the perspective of how both physiotherapists, Raj and Caitlin, work this through with their clients every single time they work with them. And we talk about the importance as to why you, when you warm up in your workouts, need to be doing this quick 12 minute six phase warm up. Um, With everything else in between, we talk about the importance of physiotherapy as well as almost like looking at it where if you have a car mechanic for your vehicle and you're getting your regular checkups, why are you not doing that for your own body? And we look at comparing that to a physiotherapist being that car mechanic for you when it comes to fine-tuning your body and going from being able to move effectively to being able to perform. Efficiently and effectively. So, pretty excited to bring on both physiotherapists, uh, Caitlin virtually, and of course, Raj at this time while the city was open. We were social distanced and messed up. So, we are hoping you enjoy this episode. Please like, subscribe, share, check us out on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as YouTube. And last but certainly not least, TELUS Optic TV here in Western Canada. So thank you guys. We appreciate you tuning in and let's dive in. I would like to first of all thank both of you for you know giving your guys' undivided attention and time. Um, I know this setup is not a normal setup. Currently, we have Caitlin out in Toronto in Eastern uh, Pacific Time. Really respect the fact that you're out here um, to give us knowledge, give us a deeper understanding with Raj Dylan, who happens to be a very regular guest we like to have on the show. Uh, He's a good friend of mine. He's a mentor. He's a brother. And so to have both of you guys in the same space of being knowledgeable uh, in physiotherapy is going to allow for us three to explore a conversation, guys, around uh, you know what a good warm-up looks like, uh, what a good physiotherapist looks like, uh, the importance of having a physiotherapist on your team. And when a lot of athletes or when a lot of general population um, niches out there for anyone who just needs to make sure they discover maintenance and want to know what that looks like, we're going to basically have a conversation today around uh, the importance of having a physiotherapist by your side all the way through. So thanks to both of you for taking the time to be here. Um, I'd like us to very much so make it round table. Uh, Whoever wants to begin, you know, I'd love to throughout every question I ask and whatever dialogue we bring, both of you feel free to share. And if we could start this conversation off with, from your opinion, you know, what exactly is a physiotherapist? Like, how would you define who a th- physiotherapist is now going into 2021?
1: Thanks for having us. Uh, first off, Kenny, um, I'll just say one of the things um, I would kind of use to describe a physio is um, a facilitator of optimal performance or optimal movement. Um, I think that our job is to not like do everything for someone, but rather give them the tools to uh, be able to take care of themselves. Um, ultimately, I think it's kind of um, yeah, like I said, providing those tools for someone. Um, yeah, Raj, anything to add to that?
2: No, Caitlin, again, Kenny, thanks for having us on, having me on again, and Caitlin, thanks for joining us today all the way from Toronto from the 6. I agree with you that the physios in my definition are movement specialists. We tend to be we tend to have a skill set of evaluating human movement, evaluating potential human movement dysfunction, and then like Caitlin said, offer interventions along that spectrum to help that person move better and ultimately perform better
0: and when you look at where both of you come from
2: how much of your own
0: background uh, revolved around being involved in sport has helped you progress yourself in working with athletes specifically i i find that you know there's a lot of things i personally am able to adapt to quicker Because of my athletic background, and and I'm just wondering for both of you being very, you know, fit individuals who like to experience different levels of sport. And I know for you, Caitlin, you um, have a varsity background in soccer, and I'm just wondering how much that has led to you uh, just being able to understand athletes better and having that experience and working with athletes as a physiotherapist.
1: Yeah, totally. I think um, having that background um, gives you a little bit better um, of understanding um, for kind of like what it takes to be an elite level athlete um, and kind of what it takes to uh, maintain that optimal performance, um, make sure you're moving well, make sure that you're kind of like in a state to prevent injuries as well. So I think having like that background really helps um, Overall, just with the understanding of the human body in the athlete side of things. Um, yeah.
2: I would add to that, Kenny, that uh, the background certainly helps because as much as possible, the things that I ask my patients to do or the tools that I use to treat my patients are things that I try to have done myself as well. It isn't always possible, but, but as much as possible, we make sure, I try to make sure that that's the case.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting both you guys say that because there's something myself as a trainer I always like to tell, specifically athletes. I know it's a very different world depending on progression and, and how fast or slow you're moving someone who doesn't necessarily have as much athletic experience. But one of my favorite things to say is there's nothing I'm going to make you do that I personally haven't done. And I find that's the, the, the beauty of experimentation. And recognizing that if you're about to show someone something that is physically very demanding, I mean, you have to ask yourself if you've tried it in the past or if you're personally doing it yourself. And uh, I'm just wondering what that art of experimentation looks like for both of you uh, throughout your practice. If both of you find that it's a lot of reading or a lot of self-experimentation or if it's, you know, however way you like to explore different things you've tried, what are some of the the things you need to check off the box to make you determine whether or not you will show that to a potential client who is an athlete.
1: Yeah, um I think that you are kind of bang on with um you don't really want to be like asking something of someone if you um don't understand it or are unable to do it yourself, right? So, I think it's important like you have to understand like how someone should be moving. So, if you're demonstrating something and you don't know how to do it, um, it makes it very challenging to kind of know if that person's doing um, what they should be doing with proper form or doing it correctly. So, I think it's important. And I think Raj and I kind of both come from that athletic background. Um, We love to um, continue to like train and work out. So, we're always kind of keeping um, our like repertoire and everything um, up to date Um, and just knowing like, different things that we should be kind of giving to people um and just able to like correct them as well if they are doing something um with poor form or that kind of thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one of
2: the other things that going back to your question kenny about like what how we make decisions about what to prescribe to people it does boil down to the initial movement analysis if they demonstrate capacity to move in a certain range of motion or perform a certain capacity of work, then we know that it's safe to work in that zone, so to speak. Whereas if they show a deficit in a certain range or a deficit in a certain capacity, then we know that's where the stimulus has to be imposed to create an adaptation.
0: And I, I'm really glad you guys mentioned that because that, that's the fundamental assessment a physiotherapist or I find any trainer would want to do on someone. It's funny how we can almost just expect someone knows how to move a certain way, especially when they come in with the dialogue, the the dialogue of, Hey, you know what? I've been, I've been training for like five years now. I'm just off season. Uh, I just, you know, I I just need to do some maintenance and they're sort of prescribing to you what you need to do for them. Mm -hmm. And at first hand, I find this was beautiful when I worked day one with Raj, myself to experience what that looks like at pivotal physio. I got to actually see that even with that dialogue I brought to the table, when I was preparing for competition, Raj put me through an assessment that I find you would almost put through anyone, whether they're an athlete or not. So you could kind of see exactly, okay, here's what you're saying, but now here's what I'm seeing. And then, and then being able to kind of bridge the gap uh, in between now with athletes there's that whole phase of de- digression sometimes, whether they have an injury or whether you notice certain things that you, you got to improve upon, mm-hmm. right? Especially when it comes to some of the pillars that you were about to mention, Raj. How, how do you have that conversation with an athlete when you need to kind of let them know that things are about to slow down? And, and uh, you know, if you've ever had a time where you needed to do that and sharing what that experience was like and, and how that conversation, like how important that conversation needs to be even if it's at the detriment of, Hey, I don't think we should even have you be game ready in four weeks. I feel like we should consider looking at other options based off of this deficit that we see. It'd be interesting to hear from both of your guys' experiences, like what that conversation looks like with an athlete and why it's so important. So you could set them up for success and not failure.
1: Mm-hmm. Wanna leave yeah, for sure. So I think it's important to have um, kind of that clear line of communication. So from the get-go, it's important too to know that there are going to be times of regression. Um, There are going to be times where maybe the plan um, for like return to sport changes a little bit. Um, So not everything with the rehab setting is uh, predictable. So there are going to be times where, you have to have those difficult conversations. Um, Maybe an athlete's supposed to, like you said, return to competition, let's say four weeks, um, and things aren't looking as good as they should be for um, that plan that you had in mind uh, previously. So it's basically just kind of having that conversation. Like sometimes things like this can happen. Um, You want to make sure that you do it in a way and you're presenting it in a way that um, doesn't kind of like I guess, ruin their spirits, so to speak. Um, So you want to make sure um, you're basically still allowing them to have like that motivation to continue um, and just make sure that they know like the end is coming where they're going to return to sport. But Hey, we might have to change the plan a little bit right now um, to allow for you to do that um, in a better way. I guess you don't want to have someone returning too soon and then having even more of a regression. So yeah, I think it's important, like I said, just kind of from the start, have that clear line of communication, um, earn their trust um, so that everything that you kind of tell them, they know that it's coming from a good place um, and you want the best for them kind of thing.
0: Yeah, it's important to actually, like, sit down and have that conversation. You know, I, I find that when you're getting them geared up for that change, you know, what, what exactly does that change look like, Caitlin? Like what, what, what are the significant things that change? Is it, you know, a lot more stretch therapy you're focusing on with him? Is it you telling them, listen, the practices that you're going to right now, let's replace it with more time seeing me as your physiotherapist. Like what exactly have you experienced uh, as far as what those changes are? for someone to recognize that right now you're in a state where we need to focus on maintenance here in the clinic as opposed to just you know continuously putting your body through so much physical trauma in in, in practice any one of you can share exactly what that change looks like
1: I think it obviously depends on like the circumstance and the person um but yeah i think sometimes you might want to be seeing that person at that point um a little bit more frequently um we, I kind of talked about it before, like um, the person is only seeing you for X amount of hours throughout the week. So what they're doing on their own matters a ton as well. So that's kind of where the communication thing comes in um, as well as you want to make sure that they know exactly what they should be doing outside of the clinic as well. Um, but yeah, like I said, if you need to kind of up the frequency of treatments in this, uh, that particular week. Um, sometimes that, that's a good option so that, um, you're able to kind of like modify things and see that person a little bit more fre- frequently. Um, Raj, anything to add to that?
2: Yeah, I'd actually go into a bit of an example, probably. And I think Kenny, this might be where you're, where you're leading us a little bit, so a common publicly known scenario of that nature is Kevin Durant in the NBA Finals not last finals, but two seasons ago. So two, two seasons ago, he suffered a calf strain and uh, there was a question mark about whether he would continue playing. You know, this is the NBA finals. This is the grand stage. So there are major external variables at play, major pressures. Personally, for him, I'm sure, as an athlete, defining his legacy, playing against LeBron James. So there's, there's, the, there's, there's a reality of competitive who's the greatest in the world right now. And his teammates are depending on him. His coaching staff are depending on him. So there was major external factors at play. Now I don't know how it all went down and how the decision was made, but the decision was made to let him play. Um, and and as and everybody knows, he ruptured his Achilles in 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 that game that he did return to play. And you could see it on the video. All the replays show that muscle rippling up into his calf. And obviously he went down for the remainder of the season. And they lost that series. Whether whether that would have made a difference or not, but they did lose that series. So that's a very, very public example. Your question alludes to what would we have done in that scenario? Now, in the ideal stage, the external variables are removed. So just from a tissue perspective, the athlete has an acute inflammatory injury. It's in the first two weeks. that There's the biggest amount of swelling, and they need to rest. So they need time. The tissue just needs time. They should not be jumping. They should not be running. They need to get treatment. They need to get anti-inflammatory measures. They need to rest. After about two weeks, then we can start reloading that tissue to gradually cause adaptation and healing. So that muscle would recover in time with progressive remedial exercise, ultimately leading into sports-specific training and getting back on the court. So in the ideal world, that's how it would go. Now, in our experience, Caitlin, the athletes that we treat, and there's a, a variety of how much the external factors are at play. So if it's a high school athlete where there's less external variables and it's early in the season, that's an easier conversation with athlete, parent and coach. And we can say to them, uh, our counsel is two weeks out of play with a return to play date goal of this. And and most people will buy on. If there's other external factors, like if you're a professional, or if you have a, uh, if it's a fight and there's a date set, and you have a certain date you've got to get ready for, then those other external factors will be a variable we have to consider. So then it's just about us being honest. And we tell the athlete, this is kind of roughly what we can expect to achieve. Um, You will have some limitations going into the fight, but I'll have you ready. And, And we'll be as close as we can, but you won't be at 100%. And then the athlete has to decide, is this for me or not? So ultimately it's their choice, it's information. We're counseling them, we're coaching them, we're guiding them but we're also not deciding for them. In the end, athletes are athletes. They're going to decide for themselves. So there's a mental mental huge mental piece to that physiotherapy treatment regime.
0: I I really respect and appreciate the honesty there, guys, because I I can't imagine that that's not easy to do to just share with someone right off the bat that listen like with with that date in mind, I, I won't get you to 100%. But we, we will improve. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of tie in both of you mentioned with with strength and conditioning training, you know, getting you back into the gym, reloading, being aware of certain movements that you know, you need to get them back to that are going to be in line with the movements that they do at a faster, more accelerated pace, when they're when, when they're being game ready, and it's game day. Now, I'd I'd love to share because personally I have witnessed the tie-in at athletic recovery center at arc where, where, where Raj has set me up with himself as my physiotherapist and with an assigned strength and conditioning coach. And it was beautiful to bear witness the, the relationship both you and Nelson had in getting me prepared for competition. And I would just love for both of you guys to just boast and share why there's such a good relationship and there needs to be a good relationship between a physiotherapist and a strength coach for um, an athlete or just for anybody. Because I found, you know, what I saw at, at Pivotal was it wasn't just athletes that you were doing this for. It was, hey, here's someone who would benefit strongly in working with a strength and conditioning coach. And now you and that coach are sitting down, preparing for a structure. You know, when you talk about like the the phases you're gonna put someone through, there's an actual roadmap set in place for both of these specialists to help that athlete out. Mm-hmm. And for me, I would almost argue that if the strength and conditioning coach wasn't there, I would have either had to just bite the bullet and be like, okay, well, this is gonna help if I go find someone else. But the fact that that person was there in, in communication with you, mm-hmm made things, in my opinion, go much faster and smoother for, for my process in getting back to pain-free. So I, I'd love for both of you to share exactly, you know, the benefits, the advantages, the, the progression of, of, of a physiotherapist either being knowledgeable in that space themselves or ready to partner or delegate that material over to someone on their team to help out someone who needs that service.
1: You want me to start here? You want me to start here?
0: Whoever, whoever would like to. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I think the uh, physiotherapy in general, I think um, it's kind of like moving more towards that, um, not only just recovery from an injury, but also just strength and conditioning as well. Um, I think it's really important, like with athletes specifically, um, your goal is to get that athlete Um, not only to like their pre-injury level, um, but to exceed that as well to prevent future injuries. So that's kind of where that strength and conditioning comes in. Um, You're making sure that you're with that um, movement analysis or assessment that um, the physio is doing in the initial stages. um, You're making sure that you're finding all those imbalances, finding those weaknesses, and then targeting them. Um, and strength and conditioning is obviously super important to, um, kind of bring that person to the next level. And like I said, to exceed those pre-injury, um, that condition or level. Um, so yeah, I think it's like super important and, uh, places like pivotal, for example, um, they have people working with both. So you're seeing the physio, you're also seeing a strength and conditioning coach, or the physiotherapist that you're seeing, like you said, Kenny, um, is knowledgeable on both sides of the spectrum. Um, so yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I, would, I would add to that, Kenny, um, going back to some of the words that you used, it, I, I certainly wouldn't call it a delegation. If anything, I would call it a partnership. And I think that the movement analysis, you know, will occur with both of those people the S&C coach will inevitably see things through a certain lens and the physio will see things through a different lens, but that is valuable. That is by definition better for the athlete. And and then those two people need to talk, right? And make sure that they're planning things together. So, um, you know, I would, I would, for the audience, I would just paint out a bit of a spectrum here. There's a spectrum commonly, and Caitlin alluded to this earlier, that physios are kind of known to be Injury management people. And nowadays it's more than that. So instead of just thinking of the spectrum from injury to wellness, I would extend that spectrum to go from wellness to performance. So now we have a much more broad spectrum upon which humans enter and some will enter with an injured shoulder and they enter at injury and they go to wellness and they're happy with just being well and they'll, they'll move along. Some will enter at wellness. I'm already performing well. I've got a competition in six weeks. I want to be performing better. They want to go to performance. And some will start at injury thinking they want to get to wellness and then realize this is really working. I'm more confident. I'm enjoying the process. I feel stronger when I'm lifting things over my head. I have an easier time getting up off the couch. I'm lifting my grandkids with ease over my head now with no injuries. I'm not sore the next day. So I want to get to that performance stage. And that performance stage will be different for each individual. So, along the spectrum, different people will be valuable. Physios, S&C coaches, and others will be valuable. They might be dietitians, it might be counselors, it might be massage therapists or acupuncturists, different you know, uh, clinicians or practitioners will be helpful. But I think philosophically, people like Caitlin and myself and you, we find value in motivating people and we find intrinsic value in seeing them succeed and achieve their goals. So pushing the, having them understand the spectrum, first of all, and then having them move along that spectrum in the appropriate amount of time is, is kind of the journey. That's the point.
0: I, I really like the, the wellness to performance because it allows someone to go above and beyond what they initially thought they were coming in for. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it, it makes me recognize and respect that, okay, well, if you're not an athlete, let's eventually... Let's get you to that stage where you requested to be pain free. But now let's let's recognize that we could train you like an athlete. Now it gets exciting at that point when when you could almost there's that bar I find people set themselves to, and when you could exceed that person's expectations of what they were what they thought they were capable of doing, it, it's magical to see. And and I find that's why I almost. Both of you could, could argue that you're in the space you're in because even respectfully in what, Caitlin, you mentioned in your bio is the fact that like you get to not only work with athletes, but you get to work with kids as young as 14 to as old as a senior who's 60 to 70 years old who wants to go from that wellness to performance stage. And uh, I'd, I'd love for both of you, if any one of you want to share a, a particular story of even a client that you have in mind, you know, respecting their privacy, of course, but just sharing the dialogue of like you thinking back on where they were when they started and and who or what they became um, after months, weeks, years of, of working with, with you or your team as a physiotherapist. I'd love for both of you to even share if there's anyone in particular, like what you were able to see um, who that person became and what they were capable of being able to do after spending that time with either one of you.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So um, a particular one that comes into mind kind of started off with someone um, came in with like an acute shoulder injury. Um, Basically, they were kind of, they thought physio was just like, okay, I have an injury, I'm coming in, um, I'm gonna get this treated, and then that's it, like I'm good to go, kind of thing. So um, I basically worked with this individual and we kind of got them out of that like acute um, inflammatory phase, that um, acute pain phase, um, started working on like building up that strength as well. And then just over time, that person kind of realized like um, the importance of physio and kind of like, the information, at least, that I was able to provide them. Um, and then just over time, like we've just kind of been building up that strength and targeting other areas as well. Um, everyone has like specific imbalances, like no one moves perfectly. So this person just kind of saw the value of physio in general and now comes every single week for kind of that maintenance. So basically like not everyone's kind of coming in every single week, but if someone sees the value um, they're definitely more inclined to come and just learn about the body in general. So there's so much like knowledge, everyone, whatever profession they're in, like they have an abundance of knowledge. So if you can share that knowledge with someone, they really um, appreciate that and are super receptive to whatever advice that you give. So like I said, it started kind of started off with like that acute, Phase And now we're just working on like building up strength in all different parts of the body, um, working on any imbalance that we find, that kind of thing. So um, I think it's just kind of um, finding those areas of not only just pain, but like I said, imbalances and just helping someone move um, better and move longer.
0: I really like that you mentioned that because it clearly states, Caitlin, how you accomplish what they originally came in for. And then all of a sudden, the goal changes, right? You sit down with them and they still want to do more and you know that you can help them. And now it becomes an entirely different goal mm-hmm. that you're capturing with, with your client. And I find in any, any space, this is just even outside of health and fitness, you have to ask yourself, well, why are they here again today? And what am I doing to make them 1% better? And I've even personally experienced moments where I had to humbly recognize that through conversation, what I originally thought was their goal has changed. Mm -hmm. And even in a capacity of recognizing that even an an acute shoulder injury, if you're still focused on improving that, along the way, as the months progressed, certain things have changed in that person's life. Maybe there's a a new injury that you have to take after. And it's only until you have that conversation. And I learned when a client's, when you're servicing the client, it's arguably like they expect you to open the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I've had to notice through some of my clients that like, and this is advice I got from one of my mentors in Good Life. He's like, you have to sit him down and you just have to ask, hey, I'm building the plan that we talked about three, four months ago. I still believe there's work that needs to be done. Does this still excite you? Is this still
2: on your mind? It you might have seasonal change, you know. Like, like uh, in, in Edmonton, athletes are driven differently in the spring and summer than they are in the fall and winter, and their goals tend to be different. And their what they f- find inspires them tends to be different. Some people love being outdoors in the winter months, and some hate it. Uh, certain sports are more in season in the winter versus the spring and summer. So, it, it might even be like a you know every six weeks or every eight weeks having a conversation about. What are your current goals today? And, and what are they going to look like in the next eight to 12 weeks, which which actually fits with most S and C phases of S, you know, strength and conditioning. Those are somewhere between six and 12 week phases. So the phases and human motivation, they kind of align, right? so you certainly like have to have regular conversations with them. Uh, the other thing I'd add to, to the, the conversation about like a special story. One athlete comes to mind, it's Denzel. So Denzel worked with us for a few seasons ago. He's a basketball player. And like Caitlin said, initially came in with some acute stuff, some early stuff that we worked on and did a movement analysis and started improving those injuries. But along the way, he started working with the, both the sports psychology personnel and the S and C coaches. So he got kind of like what's working between the ears fine-tuned and developed strategies on how to approach certain sports or approach certain coaching situations or approach certain self-motivation, which then drives the rest of the engine, right? And he also then built up the engine, right? His cardiovascular capacity, his strength capacity, his ability to lift and jump all those things improved through the course of the off season, which is, which is kind of like the ideal scene, right? Having an athlete come in open-minded, working through those processes and working through um, as a journey, with sorry guys, a journey with different personnel in play, and that makes that journey successful. So now that athlete is better off eight weeks later than they were before.
0: There's two things I, I want to share about that is the fact that what a hybrid and holistic model you just shared, Raj, where based off of that performance being elevated, you know, there was a sports psychologist involved, there's physiotherapist, there's strength and conditioning coach. Like that is in its own clear definition of what it feels like to have a team under your back. And I'm sure Denzel was able to reap and sow the benefits of, of having all members on the same page. And in, in a sense, second to that with, with talking about goals, I found that what both of you were so clear about is timeline. You know, it's it's something that you recognize, hey, well, what do you want to accomplish in three to six weeks? That is something that I notice is, is, is really important to address. Now, I know there's so many different ways of trying to get as much information as you can from someone. Uh, I know trust is, is a big thing, right? Like that goal might just sound more in depth after a week or a month mm-hmm. of, of your uh, patient or client visiting you. Uh, I'm just wondering some strategies that you guys can maybe bring up for any health professional out there who is trying to find better ways of asking what someone's goal is. And this is actually very um, f- for me very I'm very curious mm-hmm. to know mm-hmm. because i I always look at it like, okay, well, what's their need? What's their goal, and then what's their timeline? Now, here's the thing, guys. I, I, I'm very curious about this personally, right? On my end, I know based off of how we ask certain things, it will allow for us to get certain information. Mm -hmm. And from an approach of figuring out one's needs to their goal, and what both of you very much so talked about, the importance of timeline. Now, to make sure that other health professionals out there, anyone out there, determining what one's goal is, especially their clients, what are some things you guys do, and how you say it brings the, the most amount of information you need to know from your client? You know, guide me through in that pre assessment consultation piece of the onboarding process. What do you ask? Mm-hmm. How do you ask to get the most amount of information?
2: Yeah, I'd start with a, with a model like in my brain, I have physiotherapists are taught to use a holistic approach, we call it a bio model. So we incorporate the human's biology, the human psychology and their social situation. What that means is, if you came in with a shoulder injury, I'm going to ask you about your shoulder. Of course, that's the biology piece. And of course, that's what most people probably think of when they hear the word physio, is addressing my shoulder. The psychology piece, I'd ask you questions about what your goals are. I just ask you straight up, what would you define as a successful goal with your physiotherapy outcome? And then of course that might lead us down a certain path. So I might say, what inspires you? If you say, I want to lift overhead, I would say, why? You know, do you just want to lift overhead? Do you have a competition coming up? Do you lift your grandkids overhead? Do you play sports that require overhead motion? Like why, what, what inspires you about overhead motion? And then socially speaking, I'd ask you, are you currently missing time from sport? Uh, are you missing your teammates, are you still? At practices, but doing modified work. Like, what's happening in your social situation, specific to sport? Now, of course, that might also be what else is going on in your life. Are you working from home right now because of COVID? Are you lonely? Are you isolated? Are you looking for outlets that are physical or otherwise? So, I want to know all of that information as as best I can, and as much as you're willing to share. And with all of that information, then we develop a plan that fits your true goal, which is more than just your biology. Like you, you don't just want to get your shoulder better. You want to get your shoulder better because of something. So what's the why? I want to define the why.
0: There's a, there's a little element to figuring out what their intrinsic motivation is. There.
2: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. What's your why? Yeah, Caitlin, what, what do you think? How do you approach these question asking yeah. kind of first day?
1: For sure. I think that model is so important. Kind of um, touching on all different aspects of why someone wants to recover. Um, so... What kind of what uh, Raj brought up there is so important. Um, and I think it's something, it's not only that initial assessment where you're finding all of this out, but it's an ongoing process. Every time someone comes in, um, things are changing in their life. Um, you want to just kind of have that conversation every single time and know exactly um, not only how that shoulder is, for example, but how their life is. Is anything changing? Is anything maybe. Um, affecting the recovery process. Um, so yeah, it's something, like I said, it's not just that initial assessment. It's an ongoing assessment every time. Um, and the most important thing is just like Raj said, someone's why, why do they want to fix their shoulder? Why do they want to fix their knee? How is it impacting their life? Um, a lot of times it's not just physically, but also psychologically as well. So there's so many different factors. Um, and it's just kind of making sure that um, you're it's more of like a holistic approach to recovery right and you also want to um those conversations that you have with someone you might find um that they could benefit from something in addition to just physiotherapy so you're trying to help this person as much as you can and maybe you can't do everything for them so maybe you're referring to a psychologist. Um, maybe you're referring to um, a dietitian, a massage therapist. Um, so it's really kind of learning about that person and then just doing whatever you can to get them to where they need to be.
0: I, I'm, I'm really touched by what both of you said because it shows how much you guys care in terms of the more I know, the better. You know that you you're not holding back. Mm-hmm. You know with the, with more of what they can provide back to the you know the bio psycho, social element and then tying into the golden nugget, in which Caitlin mentioned is ongoing assessment. There's two questions I ask that relate to that to my clients every single time they come in, and I still have to remind myself to ask it. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll let you know why. And I, I can't imagine if oh I bet both of you have been in this position where you ask someone, okay, well, how's your body feeling today, Mm -hmm. right? Like, where where are you at? How how sore is that shoulder? Anything else we need to be aware of? Second thing is, how are you doing today out of 10? Where are you at? How are you feeling? And even just by asking that, you get a gauge of seeing how prepped and ready they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, They they naturally, I notice clients, become very honest with you. You become a big rock in their life, and they're not going to lie to you not going to say good like one would say just in passing to another person now why i say this is because that reminds you of that ongoing assessment piece caitlin where you kind of see where they're at today maybe for me as a trainer i was ready to put them through their deadlift one rep max test you know we're eight weeks let's see where you're at if they're a six out of ten and i'm noticing they had a long week and they can't wait for friday to come around the corner to rest After a long week, okay, well, maybe today we're not going to do the one rep max. I have to think quick on my feet to be like, okay, well, let's just, let's change things up. Let's, you know, digress rather and and, and put them through something that would be more of a fit because I did learn from experience where I would ignore that Mm -hmm. and I'd go, oh, well, it's up to me to make them feel better. And I would get them to do their, let's just say their one rep max test that day I try to get them all pumped up and then from the social and psycho piece they're nowhere near where i thought and they thought they could be and now not only did i fail to recognize that and have a plan b i i feel like i made that client feel less worthy sure and that that feeling sucks It sucks but it's just knowing and being aware of where they're at today
2: yeah you know yeah they also risk injury oh big time you're approaching it like without understanding let's call that 6 out of 10. If you're going into the 1RM, there's a potential injury there. Um, So some simple questions that we ask with some of those athletes. I'm sure, Caitlin, you have a a few in your toolbox as well. Um, I ask, how did you sleep last night? And and that might mean how many hours, what was the quality of your sleep, etc. Have you eaten today? If so, what did you have? And then also, what's your energy level? Which is kind of like what you're asking, how's your day going, right? So if they say, I slept eight hours. It was beautiful. I had an amazing breakfast of oatmeal, peanut butter, and dates. Ready. I had a banana on the way here. I'm feeling <laughs> like a 9.5 out of 10. Then you go for that one RM that day. Right. And if they say the opposite, I just honestly tell them, okay, you know, today you're kind of operating with your max tank at about 60%. So I want you to give me 57 and we're going to push you to 57 today. And that's, that's about, you know, that's a realistic stimulus for you today. In order to get a healthy adaptation out of it and that you won't get injured and that then six weeks later we're still operating forward thinking we're not falling behind because of setbacks so you minimize setbacks along the way I like look like for compounding gains and
0: that that leads me to a, a big conversation I want us to have around the one thing no matter where you're at 1 out of 10 2 out of 10 3 out of 10 wherever you're at, how much sleep you had last night, the food, all of that. I love it. Super important. But it's the one thing I'm sure all of us can agree on that you certainly should not skip out on in a workout-based activity. And that is the warm-up. This is something that only until I was very recently educated on, mm-hmm. I will give you an idea of where I fail to recognize it, it serves more than just the purpose of sweating, I'd go in, even as a trainer when I taught kickboxing classes, with the assumption of let's take one fourth of the hour I have with my group, with my client, let's get them warm. And even like literally warm, you know, Mm -hmm. let's get them moving. A lot of mobility work, a lot of mobility, moving around. Let's do, at the very least, I recognized something closely similar Mm -hmm. to what we're going to work on today. Mm -hmm. I knew that's good that checked off the boxes now where for me as a trainer and even just as a person who didn't understand because i think anyone whether they're with a trainer or not should do a warm-up in this capacity is mobilize and stabilize do a little bit of foam rolling myofascial release do a little biphasic stretching right be able to move yourself in a position where you're stretching not for 20 minutes on end but for that particular muscle group that you are going to be priming for a minute to a minute and a half, whatever it is. Now, something that I'm glad Rod shared with us is Dr. John Russin's uh, six-phase warm-up, which is something that I actually learned in my pain-free performance mm-hmm. certification. Mm-hmm. And it suggests, recommends, it is drilling people's heads on the fact that you need to warm up in this way, and it will only take 12 minutes. Now we could go a little bit in depth on what those six phases look like, sure. I'm sure we'll share the article and everyone can learn exactly how to effectively warm up. Mm-hmm. I more so want to add to that and I'm curious about, you know, the importance around warm up from your guys' opinions, um, from how you set up the warm up and and how just overall your, your your opinion surrounding the importance of it mm-hmm. and recognizing that it it, it might, might just, just be the exact same warm-up and that's okay depending on what you're doing that day, or it might be very different. It might have to be modified slightly Mm -hmm. for some people.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that um, two of the most important things um, when it comes to warm-up are that it's specific. So it's specific to what you're doing that day. Um, So if you're doing like a deadlift day, your warm-up, is specifically tailored to those movements that you're going to be doing with a deadlift. Um, and another thing too, is it's individualized. So it's individualized for the person. So say someone has a specific uh, mobility issue or soft tissue restriction, their warm-up is going to be specific to that. So those are kind of the two things that I'll focus on with warmup is individualized and specific um and then we can kind of get into like those six uh phases of that warm up as well but raj anything before we get into that anything that you have to add
2: No no yeah, I agree with you uh, looking at the individual in front of you and whatever they present with in terms of how they move has to be kept in mind <clears throat> and I think uh, I won't steal your thunder here but I think you're going to lead into the six phases so go for it Caitlin
0: Get your popcorn ready folks <laughs> <It's lit. laughs>
1: Okay, so um, the first two I would say kind of go um, hand in hand. So a lot of people ask me like, about foam rolling. Um, I think foam rolling is something that definitely can be added into a warm up. Um, again, you don't want to be like going to town with it, but spend a couple minutes. Make sure that it's very specific and focused. Um, so say you have specific trigger points um, in the quads, for example, um, you're just going to spend a little bit of time on that um so it's very isolated to areas of like increased tension um and then as you said Kenny you have the biphasic uh stretching as well so um again and that's not taking up too much time but um you're basically focusing on um 30 to 45 seconds um oscillating back and forth so that's just very kind of like small movements um a little bit more like dynamic And then once you get to that end range, um, you're holding that for about 15 seconds. Um, So basically with these two, you're kind of targeting that uh, parasympathetic uh, response um, in the nervous system. So that's that rest and recover. So basically trying to get those areas um, like released and warm. Um, Basically those are very targeted, like I said. Um, then you can get into corrective exercises. Um, so again, those are very like focused on the individual. Um, and in that article um, that we kind of went through there, um, it talks about the three Ss. So that kind of comes down to stability, strengthening, and smoothness of movement. Um, and then we get into um, the specific muscle patterning and activation. So again, before I said that it's also specific to what you're doing that day. Um, So say you're doing like a lower body day, um, you're activating certain muscles and those are usually certain muscles that um, you specifically may need to um, focus on more so than maybe someone else. Um, So say you have like a bit of like a glute weakness, a hip stabilizer weakness, you're focusing maybe on some band work um, in this component of the warm up. Um, again, you're not spending like a crazy amount of time on this, so um, a two to three sets, um, five to ten reps kind of thing here. Um, and then you're getting into um, more of like the foundational movements. Um, so, again, this is also um, very specific to what you're doing. Um, any like big movement patterns that you're doing, you're focusing on here. So say you're doing a squat, um, you do something like just body weight squats. So um, you're basically warming up into that movement that you are gonna be focusing on. Um, So that was five. And then lastly, um, you really wanna focus on getting uh, the central nervous system uh, warmed up. So there's also the ramp principle. so this also goes along with that. So you're basically, uh, the P in ramp is potentiate. So um, you're focusing on kind of like the explosiveness and power. So really warming up that nervous system um, as much as possible so that you are ready for that competition or for that lift. Um, so this totally depends on what you're doing as well. Like Say you're going to play like a soccer game. That's going to be different than if you are doing, let's say, like a bench press that day. Um, so, again, all of this is very specific to what you're doing in that warm up, um, or sorry, in that workout, and it's also specific to the individual as well. So everyone's going to be moving a little bit differently. Everyone's going to have different focuses as well.
0: Wow, that was textbook. I I, I really appreciate you sharing that. That's like right, bang on, Caitlin, and. It's really amazing to know that with those six phases, ideally it should be 12 minutes, give or take. And just recognizing that each phase is like two to three minutes, pop, 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 pop. You get one done right after the other. And the sixth phase, I'll be honest with you guys, is my favorite phase. I'm not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) That's a high energy phase. It it is. I find just naturally so. It's kind of funny because I have to share this from when I was a client to now a trainer. Mm, mm, I see mm, certain things Nelson, my mm, strength and conditioning mm, coach at mm, ARC did. And I know why now to to a better degree because that sixth phase is you getting that neuromuscular adaptation primed and ready. It's, mm-hmm. that, it's that mind and body connection. That's right. As Caitlin was mentioning, right. where you're tapping into that central nervous yeah. system and what was originally your parasympathetic yeah. is now shifting into yeah. sympathetic. You're getting your mind right and yeah. your body right. and the ways in which it's done is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, like the one way, Caitlin, is, let's just say, this is one of my favorite ones, five jumping jacks. Yeah. Quick, like, pop, 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 pop. then immediately med ball right in your hand you slam it to the ground slam it to the ground like you're doing very like primal instinctive yeah rushed things to do but oh man like just just to see someone finish off with that shift things over and i just for me i've experienced it because this is how i warm up now Mm -hmm. but to just when i ask my clients now i'm like hey how's the warmup? How do you feel? And they're just like, Oh, I'm ready. Like you see it in their eyes. Like they they just want to, they want to get that heavy lift out of the way right away, which is naturally what you're trying to prepare them for, Mm -hmm. you know? And what I love is through experiencing this and you sharing it, Caitlin, is not only are you moving someone more towards the progression of pain-free, you're, you're not trying to exhaust them Mm -hmm. in the first 20, uh, sorry, the first 15 minutes sure. when you're with them. Sure. And that's why I'm so glad you mentioned it, Caitlin, because I went from feeling like, oh, I need someone after the warm up to like crawl for their water, you know, cause all of them got them sweating right. to, Hey, you broke a sweat. You're a little bit warm now, but you're ready. Yeah. You know, you're ready for now, the toughest part of sure. the workout. We're going to start with that. Yeah.
2: That's right. It also is a time for like, if you take 12 minutes as our, as our example, it's a 12 minute transition from the rest the other part of their day, whatever was going on and will go on, into the focused task for their time with you or their time with us. So there's a mental piece to that. Like put it, put it at the door. Some are good, some are not good at that. But that 12 minutes allows you to make the transition. So now you're ready and focused for your task at hand.
0: It really is. I couldn't agree more. Uh, for any of one of your favorite let's say, ways of it being an athlete or it being, uh, this for both of you, a particular sports player, a particular, just to say type of movement, a chest day, a leg day, guide us through what those six phases look like for a particular person in sport or a particular part of the body, for anyone listening to this, because mm-hmm. we've got the general idea of how the phases should look. Now it'd be great to just go in depth with, okay, what exactly are we going to be doing with each
2: particular phase? Mm-hmm. I think it'd be really nice to share mm-hmm. uh, from any one of your guys's sure. um, perspectives. Caitlin, do you have one off the top of your head? If not, I'm happy to, to go.
1: Let's, uh, let's go with a squat duty.
2: Do you want me to leave Do you want lead? me
1: to start off? <laughs> <laughs>
0: sure, sure, sure. Go for it. So for all, for everyone out there who's listening to this today and it's leg day or it's not leg day, you better hope today's leg day. So let's, <laughs> let's hear it.
1: So, yeah, again, like, obviously it depends on the person. Um, it depends on like what specifically they have going on, but, um, let's just say they're about to do a squat, um, quads, are pretty sore, lots of trigger points in the quads. Um they'll start off that um targeted soft tissue like foam roll um phase. So the first phase, uh, maybe getting into the quads for a minute or two. Um and then stretching. So they would do um again that biphasic stretching um for the quads as well. So you're kind of like targeting those same muscles um that are problematic or tight or trigger points. Um And then,
2: yeah, Raj, do you want to do the next two? Sure. The next two were after the biphasic stretching, we're going into stability and activation. Okay, so stability for the quads and into going into a squat pattern. You need to be able to maintain an upright trunk, so a tight thoracic spine with a a lengthened uh, posture in mind while maintaining an abdominal engagement. So the rib cage is being drawn down towards the pelvis at the same time. All of that has to be done while flexing the hips and dropping into the, what we call the hole of the squat. Uh, so what that would look like is maybe some extensions of your thoracic spine while dropping down into a squat pattern. One thing I like to do is I like to walk over to the rig, uh, wrap my hands around the rig itself, and then drop my, my butt down to the floor. So I'm dropping into hip flexion, ankles are dorsiflexed, and in that position, I'm gonna do two things. Number one, I'm gonna work on extending my thoracic spine and doing reps of that, maybe five or six reps, just getting the T spine primed while in that position. And then number two, I'm gonna work on hip external rotation while corkscrewing through the floor, because that's one of the things that you need to focus on in the heavier part of the squat. So I would do that. I would drop out of that uh, warm up and then drop into glute band bridges. So band around the knees. Um, lie on your back, squeezing the buttocks, squeezing your abdominal muscles, lifting the butt up into the air and creating tension in the band that is now around your knees at the same time. I do about 10 or 12 reps of that. I've got my glutes fired up, hamstrings fired up, core fired up, T-spine nice and extended, and then going into my movement of the day. Wow. I love that. That puts us into stage five. Stage five. Caitlin?
1: Okay, so next one would be um you're getting into like the foundational movement. So this would just be your squats. So if you're doing squats, you're focusing on squats body weight. Um with this, form is so important. So obviously you have no weight, so your squat should look perfect. So you're going into um that depth, you're focusing on like Raj said, your T-spine extension. Um squat should look perfect. For this, you're doing like a few um, sets, five to ten. Um, you can also with this, um, it kind of will translate into like your warm-up sets as well, super lightweight, um, just focusing on that those foundational movements. Um, and then next would be the um you're priming that central nervous system, so the sixth phase. Um so with this, you're getting that heart rate up. Um for squats, I would say something like. Um, jumps, so maybe box jumps, uh, broad jumps. So anything squats is obviously, um, bilateral movement. So your jumps should kind of be, uh, bilateral as well to match that. Um, and yeah,
0: that is awesome guys. Thank you. I, I genuinely, I appreciate both of you going in depth with that because that is such tangible information that I find our listeners are going to be able to take away and, and apply into their training, right? For this next part of the conversation, guys, you know, we're coming close to concluding uh what is a very you know knowledgeable episode from from both of you being so educated in this conversation and this topic is really from your perspectives, knowing that in the space we're all in in health and fitness I, I'd argue that all three of us are in it and love it because you're constantly learning you know it's it's never ending with scientific based evidence with, you know, new ways of of priming one's body and and making them go more in the direction of being pain free. Uh, There's just so many new ways of doing it. And we talked a lot about a hybrid holistic hub and spoke type model of how physiotherapists are now partnering up with other health professionals are working together, collaborating on what they all specialize in to help someone progress into performance after wellness with what raj mentioned earlier two questions here where do you know the journey of a physiotherapist is going you know what what, what route and, and what direction is that uh, career choice going and where do you want it to go let's say it's 2040 or 20 years from now coronavirus is done You know, the world is flourishing. You could get, you know, there's new technological advancements in place. It's a perfect world of where you want a physiotherapist uh, position to look like. Uh, Guide us, both of you, through, um, you know, what for sure is going to be in the works
2: of this role and where you want it to go. Sure, I think that one of the things that in, in terms of trends that we've seen, in what I would call the health and fitness space or the orthopedic space over the last decade at least, is there seems to be a merging of the worlds. Uh, Physiotherapists, chiropractors, massage therapists, S&C coaches, osteopaths, kinesiologists. I'm sure I've missed a few in that list. But these different disciplines or schools of training are kind of looking at the human body as a system, which it is. They're kind of looking at the human body as a complex interplay of different neurological muscular joint systems working together, which it is. And then as a result, people are getting better service. The public is getting better service as a result of that. No longer is like, if you come to a physio clinic and all you get is ultrasound, that's pretty sketchy treatment, right? Now that's all that's very, very old school. It's not fair. Yeah, and it isn't, it isn't um, a globally successful pathway. Now, now, once in a while, maybe use ultrasound, sure, but if that's all you're getting, there's a question mark there. The same thing with chiropractic if, if all you're getting is a quick lock and pop for 30 seconds, then out the door, I mean, that is the knock on some practitioners. And that's also, I would call that, not so common these days. In the last decade, the practitioners that we collaborate with, there seems to be a much more... Um, thorough evaluation and thorough treatment delivery. So going back to your question, I think that not only in physio but in orthopaedics in general and health and fitness in general, we're starting to look at the human body as as a mix of different systems and working together in those systems. So we need to get good at identifying which system is the bottleneck in a certain day, which system is the bottleneck in a certain period of time. And then intervene with that bottleneck at that time while maintaining performance of the other areas the other systems so maintenance and proactive behavior are key Um, and then identification of where the bottlenecks lie are also a key from there we use our toolbox then we show up with our toolbox we do needling manipulation manual therapy exercise cupping contrast baths etc but all of those tools need to be used with that preliminary strategy and assessment in play in mind. That's already happening. That's already been happening for the last decade. Uh, and I think that'll happen more and more over time. Caitlin, maybe, what do you think about that? And then also, do you know of any technologies that maybe are coming into vogue in the next little while that maybe our audience wants to look into?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, um, I think in the future, Currently right now, I think a lot of people are still, um, they have that perception of, um, physiotherapy or, um, chiropractic, um, pretty much any of those professions as like, you have to be injured. Um, so we kind of talked about this previously, but I think it's going to lean more towards in the future, like just optimal human performance, um, and people coming in to just move better and be better. Um, So I think it's going to kind of switch more towards like that preventative and it is happening now, but, um, I think it's going to happen more and more in the future is, um, just more of like that wellness side, um, people coming in for like maintenance to prevent future injuries. Um, and like I said previously, people to move better and move longer. So, um, I think that, um, that's where I can kind of see things going, um, as far as technology too, um, Raj, you guys have the, um, do you want to touch on the new technology that you guys have at Pivotal?
2: Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on, I'll touch on a few, uh, actually. So let's go chronologically here. We, so already today we have technology, there's wearable devices. People are wearing Apple watches and garments and whoop straps and all of these different wearable devices give, um, give people the chance to look at their own metrics, to start playing with those metrics and start improving their performance themselves, self-monitoring, but also report those metrics to people on their team. They could report those metrics to you. And they could say, hey, Kenny, I had three good days, bro. Like, what are we going to do today? Or they had, I had like a shitty couple days. Like, I really need to recover. I need to work on my sleep and my stress levels and my eating habits. And so the, the wearable devices aren't the be-all and end-all, but they are a very valuable tool to help people improve their performance in whatever respect that might be. Uh, So that's one approach. We have what we call the Panoe, It's a metabolic cart at ARC, and we use it to evaluate uh, VO2 max testing. So what's the person's aerobic capacity? Uh, That aerobic capacity can also be drilled down into which phases of training that athlete tends to be either really good at or needs to improve upon from that information we, we can then develop a program of training and a phase maybe six weeks long or eight weeks long and work on um, essentially improving what we call their bottlenecks in their in their performance and then a retest could take place at six to eight weeks after that so that's available essentially now now if you ask the question about 2040 that's a totally different question. <laughs> it's a different so, ballgame so, then. So if we go 20 years down the road, now we're all speculating, right? And myself included. But if we're speculating, I think we're going to have chips implanted in us. I think like the wearable device will no longer be wearable. It'll exist in the human body somewhere. I think that those glasses will no longer exist. I think that your eyes will just be technologically solved. Your vision will be perfect somehow. So, so I don't know. But we're getting into a very interesting and potentially kind of scary space where, where human performance can be improved to the nth degree. This could turn into a sci-fi conversation, so I won't go, there, I won't go super far. But, <laughs> but, but I think if we're talking 2040, and if you look at the trajectory of science over the last 20 years, 20 years from now, it's going to be even more exponential. So... I don't know the answer, but, but I think we're going into some interesting times and hopefully we're around to see all that. Well, if we're going to go there, I
0: mean, we're talking 2040, brand new franchise, Pivotal, opened up in Mars, you know, <laughs> one way, one way ticket. Sure, <laughs> <sure>. That's right. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate both of you guys sharing that. And it reminds me of something that we, we even spoke about. Uh, with, with business owners in our first season when the focus was very uh, much so focusing on business owners and entrepreneurs. And it just goes back to um, the point we always love to make with guests where it's like collaboration over competition. You know, both of you very much so mentioned that there's going to be others helping out your client yeah. and, and, and you're willing to work on that together. And then on the other end, I love that even Caitlin brought this up when we all first started talking about um, what this episode will look and feel like. When, Caitlin, you shared this, and it really resonated with me, you know, we, we focus so much on, you know, we got to get our car for its oil change. We got to make sure we're doing every preventative measure to keep our car running seasonally, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. especially here in Edmonton. Sure. You know, as Raj mentioned get earlier, it's tires. like... Oh, it feels like we're living in two different cities when the snow hits, right? So we do all of that for our vehicles. Why are we not doing that for our body? And I love that both of you mentioned, it's almost like I'd love for it to be more of a mandatory prerequisite for any athlete, for any human being to get prescribed in seeing a physiotherapist. And thankfully, you know, for the majority of people in the workforce, they have benefits that allow them Mm -hmm. to still see a physiotherapist periodically and that's why for anyone listening to this whether you're as, as close to the spectrum of being pain-free as you are or you do need some help i hope listeners can gather a little bit of uh more motivation after listening to both of you speak about the importance of preventative preventative cautionary mm-hmm. um therapy right to, to help your body be primed and move a certain way no matter what stage you're at in life so it's really beautiful to hear both of you be, um, you know, very open to that dialogue of of collaborating with others and and recognizing that a physiotherapist is just as important as your car mechanic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd like to come to a conclusion, guys, as we wrap up our conversation, in recognizing that both of you are specialists in your field and fortunately so in the opposite ends of the country. So, so Caitlin, I want to thank you for, for obviously, there's going to be some new listeners interested in hearing you speak from the greater Toronto area. And it's awesome to, to know that you're willing to be on. Uh, I'd like both of you to share, you know, for our listeners in Toronto, for our listeners in, in Edmonton and in Alberta, where can they um, potentially be serviced mm-hmm. through physio by both of you? And uh, how can our guests connect with you mm-hmm. if they're interested, and if you allow for
2: that to happen? Of course, of course. Caitlin, you want to go first?
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, I am in Toronto, as Kenny said. Um, I'm working out of two clinics here, so uh, one being Live Active Sport Medicine, um, and the other being Athos. Um, if you guys want, you can reach out to me on Instagram. So uh, my Instagram is Physio. So K-A-I-T-L-I-N.Physio. Um, I'd be happy to connect with anyone through that. Um, and yeah.
0: Which I highly recommend folks check out your Instagram, wherever they are in the world, because you provide tremendous amount of value on there as far as movements and, and the, the science behind it. So thank you, Caitlin.
2: Caitlin's content on Instagram puts mine to shame, so so if you're if you're going to go on Instagram, check out Caitlin's before you check out mine. (laughs) Uh, For those for those of you that are in Edmonton or that area, you can find me at Pivotal Physiotherapy, or you can find me at Arc by Pivotal Physiotherapy inside of Evolved Strength downtown. I hope that we can um, put those communication details in the podcast eventually in the somewhere in the link or something absolutely but uh my my Instagram handle is at Raju Dillon. that's r-a-j-u-d-h-i-l-l-o-n or you can find us on at pivotal physio or at arc underscore pivotal and all of those I think will be in the in the link as well so reach out if you have questions if you want to know how to improve your body's movement or your performance if you want to simply know how to design a warm-up so that you can prevent injury and be proactive Reach out to Caitlin or reach out to myself and we'll be happy to help you. Thank you, guys.
0: One of my favorite questions to ask every single one of our guests. Raj is probably very prepared for this one. <laughs> Caitlin, this might, uh, you know, come at you as a surprise. And I'd love to hear what you have to say. And we, we could start with Raj and then carry it over. You know, any single person we bring on to the Second Floor podcast, we believe indoctrinates uh, a, a type of mindset where they always feel like they're elevating in their life, in their health, in their business, and whatever it is they're doing. They're, they're always thinking one step ahead. And, and that's why naturally, so when I ask and talk about the future, I, I could just tell about how excited both of you get in, in the plans of where your field is going. So from your own perspective, from, from giving tangible advice to someone out there, what do you believe it takes to take it to the next level? you know, to indoctrinate the mindset of being on the second floor. What exactly does that look and feel like?
2: Yeah, I, I would make it really simple for the audience. Um, the two biggest predictors of success are confidence and consistency. So that's my answer is if you want to improve your physical well-being, if you want to improve how you move, if you want to improve your performance, proceed with confidence, which might mean you need a little bit of help or a little bit of information or some counsel. We can give you those things but be confident, and then secondly, proceed with consistency. And that means um, you cannot improve everything in one week. It might take a little bit longer, so get some counsel on how long it should take. That way you have realistic expectations, but be consistent and put in the time. Uh, there will be ups and downs, things in life will come up and, and there will be you know ebbs and flows. But overall, if you're confident and consistent, Th- the things will get better and your ability to move and your performance will also improve i love that are we getting Thank you much. back on the call
0: Caitlin is, well, she's we, we, we worked that out. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> that was behind the scenes. A quick message. I was like, Caitlin, make sure you hop back on while Raj talks. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're running course. So Caitlin, that was uh, Raj finishing up with his answer, you know, talking about the value of being consistent in whatever it is you're pursuing and much more uh, for yourself. You know, what exactly would be your tangible advice For elevating to the next level in one's pursuit?
1: Um, It's important to find out what motivates you. Um, So, those motivational factors are huge. Um, And then another thing is just don't be afraid to ask for help, to ask for advice. Um, I think a lot of times people kind of like let their ego get in the way, but it's important to know that there's, I said this previously, but everyone kind of has an abundance of knowledge to share. So, ask questions. Um, don't be afraid to ask as many questions as possible. So I think that's the most important thing is, um, just like be willing to learn more and know that there's so much more knowledge out there, um, that can be shared. So, yeah.
0: I love it. Yeah. Be curious, right? At the end of the day, guys, I just, I want to take the time to acknowledge both of you for, you know, really being such incredible representatives in the space that both of you are in, you know, like with Caitlin going the extra mile to be present and be vulnerable on social media to showcase what you're doing with clients and and to give just that much more knowledge to others and to take time out of your day to be here and sit with us. Um, as well as Raj, you know, recently uh, achieving through Yeg fitness one of the nominations of being one of the most um, top physiotherapists in our city, but also the top physiotherapist clinic. So to really bring you both here to share this type of knowledge with our guests um, is, is huge. And even for myself to have a front row seat and learn from both of you, um, I extremely appreciate. So thank you much, thank you so much for your guys' time. And I just want to share with our guests that if you found value in this episode, please feel free to share it, uh, review, and and give us a review on iTunes podcasts. We are um, in as many, platforms as possible at this point you could catch us on spotify on apple podcasts on several other audio platforms youtube and of course now tell us optic tv so i am really excited there's going to be a lot of people that will uh, gain a lot of clarity and more of a deeper understanding of uh what physical and mental progression looks and feels like, like. thank you, can you guys that's a wrap. no problem thank you guys that's a wrap thanks caitlin